I'm going to encourage you that we enter into a different part of John now. We've been in John for over a year. And miracle of all miracles, we should arrive on the resurrection story two weeks from, three weeks from now. Praise be to God. But we take a little bit of a turn here. We move out of principled teaching, precept teaching. And not that there aren't principles, not that there aren't precepts here, but it becomes more of a narrative. It becomes more of a story. And I think far too often we as pastors feel like we have to enumerate, we have to pontificate, and um, eight and eight and eight. And so this morning, I'm going to take all that out of the equation. We're going to lean on the Word of God to simply do what the Word of God does. So your challenge this morning is to interact with the Word of God. I'm simply going to read you a story. And it's a story as it is written. Your job is to be in your Scriptures this morning and to follow along in the different passages as I read you a story. Now this is a story as I read it that's got some thoughts, some contemplations. So what I'm helping you understand is that the application this morning is riddled through each chapter. I believe we have seven chapters this morning. And so again, as we move through this story, follow along in your Scriptures. We're in John 18. We're going to be in verses 1 through 27. And I'm going to be praying. I already have prayed and I will continue to pray that whatever God has for you out of this story... I believe I would be doing it a certain amount of injustice if we didn't present it this way. This is out of the box for me. I'm not used to doing this this way. But I came under a conviction that this is how John wrote it. And so it should be told as a story. And that's how mankind has learned for years. So listen to it as a story, but interact with it, will you? Chapter 1. Jesus leaves for the garden. You can start in verse 1, and then as we do so, let me share you my understanding of the story. There's no more time for words. Jesus leaves the city for a dark and cold garden. The hour has come, his hour had come. Now was the time that redemption had waited throughout history for. This motley crew would travel through the still and cover of early morning darkness. Jesus was to trade the warmth and comfort of four walls and a room and a meal with friends to escape into a grove of olive trees that he might retreat into his suffering. Sin would come in threes throughout this first act of the plan of redemption. Three times Jesus would ask His devotees to stay awake and pray. Three times they would give in to their flesh and nod off. I wonder if I would have given in to my flesh. If I would have been too overwhelmed. Or maybe it was underwhelmed 
with the magnitude of the moment. Far too often do I fail to realize the importance of the moment behind the moment. The importance of prayer. Three paper tigers will enter our third act this very night. They would flash their rings and bare their teeth with a sense of title and entitlement. Wayward authoritarians who wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and yet, because of their untimely oligarchy, they would be the mouse that roared. Leaders with no authority to handle the true events of the evening, yet their arrogance and fear will stand as a memorial to the ambiquitous failure of leadership. Men who seek their own truth. Caiaphas, Herod, and Pilate. The original three stooges. It's too easy to be insulting and condescending in hindsight. And yet how often do I pass judgment on moments, people, and circumstance thinking that I have any true bearing at all. I estimate my own share in arrogance and self-judication that proclaims my own oligarchy without consulting Christ or recognizing His authority far too often. Three denials would be issued by the most devoted. The disciple who proclaimed that he was willing to die with his Lord would soon come to realize that the time for words was over. Soon, words would be defined by action. Jesus would demonstrate his power over death and his willingness to die for us. He would embrace it while Peter would shake and cower. How often do I let easy words come off my lips that were they put to the test? Well, you know. The time for words is over. Someone is coming. Chapter 2. This chapter is called Judas the Betrayer. Enter stage right. Ah! Here he is. Now the group is together again. Enter stage right into our soliloquy. Judas, the enigma, returns. He must have spent the night searching for the disciples in Christ throughout the streets of the city, seeking to return and reconcile. Surely that would be the response by the one who had walked with our very Lord. Oh, Judas. What have you done? You shook hands with the devil. You opened your heart to bitterness and anger. You justified your actions through misguided and manipulating thoughts of selfish gain and poisonous embraces. Your very final act with all of its drama did everything you desired. It struck at the heart of the very one you desired to hurt the most. You purposefully chose to betray your Lord with the very action that men use to to demonstrate peace and security. The kiss of greeting. You played it well. And how awkward it must have been in the moment. Almost like a parent who lets the child throw their fit and finally say, okay, Are you done now? 
Oh, Judas, how blatant and bold you were in your betrayal. I fear that I could never be so striking. No, I'm much more subtle in my betrayals. Every time I sell my Lord for a lie, or for my personal satisfaction, or dissatisfaction with His plan over mine, I could never be so bold as to be as public and daring as you, Judas. Or could I? Hmm. It seems that there might be close cousins of Judas, alive and well even today. I guess I have to ask myself, what's my price to sell out Christ? How much or for what would I sell out my Lord? Chapter 3. Who do you seek? Talk about your awkward moment. Jesus is the consummate host. Realizing why His guests are there. Having a rekindling of kindred hearts with Judas. Jesus just gets down to it. He not only kills the elephant in the room, he makes every effort to get things moving. It's amazing when asked who we are seeking. If Jesus truly answers, it results in a lot of people falling to the ground. Just the very words of Jesus proclaiming who he is was enough to make this mighty group of the temple's finest warriors fall and cower. Something tells me that the words a lamb led to the slaughter are very fitting here. Yet this is a mighty lamb and not a very tame lion. When I say I am seeking Jesus, am I truly ready for what might come? Many of us probably think we could arrest Jesus. No, really. Many of us probably think that we could arrest Jesus. We can box Him up. We can control Him. We can limit Him. We attempt to do this all the time. Yet here's the fascinating thing. Just like the guards that night, we don't stand a chance unless Jesus complies. In His mercy and graciousness, He works through our frailty in order to accomplish His work. I am a guard in the garden. Chapter 4. A sword, a servant, and a savant. Cue the action scene. Michael Bay, step up. The overzealous have found their mark. They are ready to die. No more time for words. Surely this is the moment. Surely this is the moment Jesus was preparing for to usher in His kingdom. Strike quick. Strike hard. Strike true. That a boy, Peter. This is what defines you and separates you from the rest. You act first. And you ask questions later. Poor Malchus. 
Now he will be immortalized as the sole injury of the great battle of Gethsemane. Better yet, he will be remembered as the one who in spite of the misguided foolishness of a follower of Jesus Christ, he becomes the recipient of holy stitches. The servant who the night before the death of Jesus Christ got an earful. Jesus knew that the disciples would scatter. He knew that truncated and powerless courts awaited Him. He knew this Malchus was undeserving of the sword. You see, Jesus was the target. And He knew it. Chapter 5. The house of the high priest. You've seen the made-for-TV mystery where the DA is trying to find a judge in the middle of the night in order to procure some kind of search warrant or arrest warrant. Any judge will do. It always presents itself as such a difficult task. Yet on this night, the judge was awake. Very awake. And waiting to get the proceedings underway. The crowds were already assembled. There was furious work for the preceding hours from the moment Judas proposed this unique opportunity. So Jesus was brought to Annas, probably as a protection for Caiaphas, his son-in-law. They couldn't risk a meeting until there was enough to convict and proceed with their nefarious plan. So, enter into the presence of your accuser, sweet Jesus. Enter into the house of the one tasked to lead your people into atonement for the sins before your Father. The one who was to act as an intermediary between man and God. The one who had let faith become regulated to stodgy religious practice and politics and power. After all, we know who truly holds the power, don't we? The house of the high priest. The family. That's right, a bit of mafioso right here in Palestine. Our boys are going to pick up this Jesus and bring him by the house for a little talk. He has to be dealt with. Doesn't he know who holds the true power? Jesus is an inconvenient truth that has to be dealt with. We can't let Jesus ruin our racket. We've got a good thing going here. Am I in fact describing the house of the high priest? Or could I possibly be describing the houses of worship across this nation? Do we dare give Jesus control of this church, this service? Or is it too dangerous? People might start following Jesus instead of the pastor. Chapter 6, Peter faces the pressure. Oh, there you are, Peter. Many of us remember that line. Many of us may remember that line from another story. Hook. I saw a few of you. In that story, Peter had a difficult time knowing who he was as well. He had lost his identity. There you are, Peter. Standing by the door. All the while, history wants to record you as an 
utter failure in this story. I have to hand it to you, Peter. At least you came to the party. If it weren't for your friend who got you in the gate, you would still be outside the gate. Going through that door was not your demise. For surely the other disciple is not recorded as having lost their identity. As a matter of fact, he wore the badge of association proudly, and because of his familiarity, he was let in. Yet you, Peter, sulk in the shadows of obscurity. But again, at least you came to the party. How awkward it must have been when asked by the doorkeeper, a young servant girl, aren't you one of his disciples? The words probably tripped over themselves coming out. I am. Really, Peter? Right there in front of John. Right there, so close to Christ. Maybe with an earshot. What would compel you to deny your relationship with Him? Again, Peter, props to you for showing up. Maybe you weren't prayed up. Maybe you were still lacking in faith, even for the one who walked on water. So bold were you, and yet so fragile. I am sure that I would have flashed my badge of discipleship if asked. I'm sure that I would have proudly proclaimed to be a disciple. I'm sure that I wouldn't have stumbled. Hmm. I sound just like Peter. Hours prior to this fiasco, don't I? Chapter 7, the defiance of Jesus. If Peter had a problem finding his identity in the face of perceived danger, Jesus boldly embraced his identity in the face of imminent danger. You might have missed that opening line. It was brilliant. Let me say it one more time. If Peter had a problem finding his identity in the face of perceived danger, Jesus boldly embraces his identity in the face of imminent danger. Jesus is more than confrontational. He again sinks the dagger of shifting power with a surgical strike. It was not enough to simply give testimony as to his teaching. No, Jesus is making a statement. A choking and palpable statement as if to say, the people are changing. The structure is changing. Your power is changing. Just ask anybody in the room. They know it. Ask them who I am. They know, and as a matter of fact, you know, Annas, who I am. Why don't you say it? Jesus is rewarded heavily for his cutting truth and admonition. It didn't take the high priest to recognize the power play in the room. A simple guard was fully aware what Jesus was saying. Your time is short, Annas. Your time is short. 
the last chapter. Chapter 8, the rooster. When a rooster crows in the pre-dawn hours, it signals a fresh start, a new day, a new beginning. Peter was going to need one of those. A let's start over card. Peter experienced the dark, sordid, ugly path of a lie. The path no one considers when the first one comes out of their mouth. The progressive compromise to protect and promote oneself for dignity or safety. In fact, the sacrifice of integrity and truth comes at a great cost. Now the door has been opened wide to fear and self-loathing. There is no mention of Peter on the Via Della Rosa. There is no mention of Peter at Calvary. There is no mention of Peter helping take down the body. I would imagine that a broken heart of betrayal could create such a sense of separation that I could no longer look Jesus in the eyes. Let alone those who had failed to compromise. His sin ever before Him and feeling the trapping, choking results of His choices. Three quick yet defining choices. Peter uncharacteristically slides into the shadows only to be seen again running to the garden a few days later. I would imagine Peter standing at a protective distance from the crucifixion, looking on in horror at what was happening to his Lord, his Messiah, his friend. He probably didn't realize that in that very moment, all was forgiven. If only Peter could have a fresh start to the day once the rooster crowed. In fact, he and I and yourself will be graced and mercifully provided a new start in just a few short passages of this incredible story. Come back next week as we continue. Obviously, a certain stylistic approach to the text and a little difficult, I would imagine, to read through the text as I'm editorializing it. So my strategy here is to give my view, my understanding, my prayerful consideration, hopefully my spirit-led approach to these events in the form of a story. Now listen to it. Straight from John's mouth. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went out with His disciples across the the brook Kidron where there was a garden And he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Jesus said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. 
So he asked them again, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. These are the events that lead to the moment of our salvation. There is much going on for you and I to wrestle with. Where do you fit in this story? Where do I fit in this story? I encourage you, take it with you. Pray over it. Consider it. And let it affect your heart deeply. In your estimation of Jesus Christ and the humility that He practiced. I don't know if you heard what I heard. And there are miracles because I got through that entire endeavor without editorializing when I wanted to every five seconds. But I will take a moment now where the guard says to Jesus, you answer the high priest that way? Do you understand what a puppet court is? What a farce that was? That that very guard now understands who has the authority, doesn't he? And yet Jesus 
practiced humility. And he let them bind him. And he let the officer strike him. And he let Annas send him to Caiaphas. And he let on and on and on. For what purpose? So that Peter could be forgiven for the things he was doing in that very moment just out in the courtyard where he's what? He's warming himself with the world. Just because we told this in story form doesn't mean there isn't much for us to grab a hold of here. And I'll leave that to the Holy Spirit. We're going to ask the men to gather to take our offering and we want you to give thousands and thousands of dollars as it comes by. We believe that part of our worship is giving and you gave this morning. You participated. I I will not forget this service soon. You participated. And that's the way this is supposed to be because that's the way it will be in heaven, my friends. There will be no pastors. There will only be Jeremy Cook in heaven. There will be no worship leaders. There will, you know, you could really take that out of context on the video, right? Okay, you know what I meant. Okay? There will be no worship leaders. The Lord and the angels will be the worship leaders. And we will be the choir. It's okay. Your voice will be perfect. But another part of what we do in our act of worship is we give. And we give sacrificially and we give joyfully. And if you're visiting with us this morning, please don't feel any compulsion. Paul was very clear on this, even to believers. That if, if we give out of a sense of compulsion, God's, God isn't interested. We give because we joyfully recognize His hand at work in our lives. Amen? And that's it. That's it. And then we pray that He would multiply the results. So we're going to close this morning with a song. Uh, Stephen's going to come forward, and I'm going to pray over the offering. And may you be blessed. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May you, through His power, not be subjugated to sin this week, but rise in glorious effort and jubilation in the grace of your Savior. Let me pray. Father, it is a sombering story that we're reading. It is a challenge to be sure to insert ourselves into the narrative. But Father, I cannot read this without knowing why you were doing what you were doing. And on a partial level, it was for me. It was for those in this room even now. So Father, let each of us wrestle with the fact that He who has the final authority, He who created us, He who created the world, subjugated Himself to the creation so that He might offer final payment for our hideous sin that we might be redeemed. That we might have relationship with the Father. That we might experience glory and eternal life. Lord, I raise up to You my heart for those that may be here today that have yet to know that and taste of it. Please, let them pursue. Let them seek so they will not be disappointed. We lay this before You along with our gifts and our sacrifices, saying, use them. May they be pleasing to You. Thank You for the faithfulness of this body to give 
and your faithfulness to give back to them. That we as a community are seeking to strive and do your work. To your glory, Father, forever and ever. Amen.